0: I think one of the fallacies around trauma is that we have to get rid of these coping strategies because they're, they are rooted in trauma and they're bad for us. Actually, no, we need those. Like they help us function during really stressful responses. We just don't want dissociation to show up in our day-to-day life. You're listening to makes
1: a noise podcast, episode number 441 with guest Christine Gibson. You ready? Let's go. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am so glad that you are here. So we're rounding the corner as far as these episodes about therapy, trauma therapy, different modalities, et cetera. I believe – I can't promise – but I believe we are done at the end of April, and then we are going into – relationships. I can't wait. All different aspects of relationships we're going to talk about. So stay tuned for that. Did I tell you, this has nothing to do with anything at all, but did I tell you that I'm growing my gray hair out? If you follow me on Instagram, you may have seen it. So I decided, oh gosh, it's been a handful of months now, that I would do it. It's kind of a long boring story that includes like hair color and stuff that I won't bore you with, but uh, essentially I got a new hairdresser last year and she stopped covering up my gray. She was still putting highlights in. I don't really understand how it all works, how the magic and the science comes together to make people's hair beautiful. But she stopped covering it up with like a dark brown and I, you know, my gray was showing through a little bit more. And I'm like, "Hey, this isn't so bad." Fuck it. Let's just grow it out. I am very impulsive like that. And so she's like, "Yeah, let's do it." Uh, yay. And then <laughs> so it's happening. And it looks really great except now I've got several inches of regrowth. And I don't know. I'm going to have to reach out to a couple of people that I know who've gone through this process. Is this part of the process? Like the the holy shit what have I done? Part of the process? Um because it's it's a lot more obvious now and my gray hair is unruly. Like <laughs> It's I'm like meeting this whole different personality that I did not know existed that grows out of my scalp. What? What? It Like I'll pull it back. Like right now it's back in a – it's long enough where I can just put it in a bun and then like pull it through like a little ponytail, like tie it in a knot. And there's – it looks like – do you remember Doc from Back to the Future? What's his name? Christopher Lloyd, the actor. He's like, Marty. And he's got all this like hair. (laughs) It's gray hair. That's what I feel like. Or like the old mother goffle, not when her hair was black, but when she, you know, didn't have the magic. And that's what it's feeling like. I'm like, oh, oh, it's a process. It's this whole thing. I'm not going back. I, I have way too much pride to do that. I'm like, never mind. I changed my mind, everyone. <laughs> I, I just think the whole thing is it's a journey just like life. Just like we talk about over here on the podcast. Okay, Uh, Christine Gibson is here today. I'm excited for you to hear this conversation. She talks about – originally, she caught my attention on TikTok because she talks about the two different types of therapy, top-down or bottom-up, which you will hear about, and a really fun tool that I love. She she calls it Informations. You'll hear about that. Okay. And before we get into it, there are a handful of spots left for the Daring Way Retreat that's happening in September in Asheville, North Carolina. You can head on over to andreaowen.com slash retreat. Uh, I know that Brene Brené Brown's HBO series um, has recently come out and that's super exciting. So if you watch that, if you read Atlas of the Heart, there was a lot of correlation between the things that she talks about in the book and in the HBO series and the Netflix Call to Courage special, if you caught that a year or two ago, uh, to what we talk about and go over and what you'll learn in the the Daring Way curriculum uh, at the retreat in September. So head on over to andreaowen.com slash retreat, and let's get on with the show. Let me tell you about our guest today. Christine is a family doctor and trauma therapist in Calgary, Canada, She is an Avenue Top 40 Under 40, a TEDx alumni, and is starting a doctoral program in London in 2022. She has studied systems of thinking, the use of storytelling towards healing, and created a residency training program in health equity. Now she focuses on trauma as TikTok trauma doc on TikTok and in a soon-to-be-released book, which will be practical and include the lens of storytelling and of Equity. So, without further ado, here is Christine. Christine, thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's a pleasure. All right, I'm going to jump in because I have so many questions for you, and I want to make sure that we we have enough time. And I, I had to cut cut us off because I have so many personal questions for you. I'm like, well, I need to I need to share this with the listeners. But I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of go out of order because you and I were just talking about EFT tapping, and I've I've had some experts on to to talk about that modality, but can you share specifically, because I've, I think we've talked about it previously around kind of, you know, like acute things that are happening. Um, you know, I've used it for major stressors that are going on in my life and it's been super helpful, but you talk about how EFT can help with trauma. So can you provide Mm -hmm. like an example of
0: that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I trained in EFT with, uh, a couple, Alina, Frank, and Craig Wiener out of Washington State. And um, as a part of their basic training program to get certified, you actually have to do their program on, it's called tapping out of trauma. So Craig teaches that with somebody different, but for their certification, they think, well, trauma can show up no matter what you're tapping on and you have to be kind of prepared for those responses. So, um, I And then he actually did a 2.0 version of that, which I also did because Trauma is my thing. Mm -hmm. So I was actually trained in tapping for trauma um, through the instruction that I had initially done. And it's interesting because they kind of did it in like a themed way. So one common thing that comes up for me, which I never would have anticipated and start until I started doing trauma work is going to the dentist. Mm. So I've had a lot of people who feel that that's a very vulnerable position. And then a lot of people who've had specific traumas related to their mouth. So, um, And I don't think dentists really understand how triggering they can be. So a trip to the dentist can be full of apprehension. And the problem is once you have that association that, oh, this is going to be hard for me, your sympathetic nervous system starts sending out those fight and flight chemicals to the rest of your body and then that can be like a snowball that very quickly starts rolling downhill once those chemicals have started being put out and your body feels oh gosh look i'm getting anxious mm-hmm. and it travels down that pathway by the time you're at the dentist with you know him doing the work or her doing the work you're in a full blown panic attack and it's you know overwhelming to be in that chair so something like tapping can be really helpful for you to dissociate the feeling of going to the dentist and those physical sensations and the emotions that show up and you disconnect them from the dentist Mm -hmm. so that when you go to the dentist, you have a more neutral feeling about it. So you're basically just dialing down the intensity of the association. That's what I love about tapping. Okay.
1: Okay. And now of course I'm like, oh, I want to ask you so many things that are related to that, but I'm going to, I'm going to follow the script. I'm going to follow the script. Okay. So let's talk about can you explain to the, the audience how you talk about like two different types of trauma therapy, top down, bottom up? So can you, what, is that, what does that mean?
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's one of my favorite. I should, It's so hard when you're on TikTok, you can only pin certain videos. Okay. And that's absolutely one of my favorite videos because not a lot of people talk about it. And I think it's really important. So a lot of people think that, doing CBT alone. What is CBT for people who don't know what that is? Absolutely. Thank you. Cognitive behavior therapy. Mm -hmm. It's what is in medicine. We learn it's the gold standard or it's the very best thing to do for trauma. And so I was under that impression for the first, you know, 15 years of my career. And it wasn't until I started digging deeper that I learned about top down and bottom Mm -hmm. up. So top down is when you use your brain to help your body's symptoms of that trauma response or that threat response come online. So it helps you understand the thoughts that you have related to those danger signals, Mm -hmm. which is CBT, correct? CBT. CBT, Yes, yes. absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, But there's lots of other cognitive therapies. So um, even DBT, so dialectic behavior therapy, which for some reason has been linked only to people with borderline personality, but I've yet to meet a person with that label who doesn't actually have complex trauma in the background. So um, DBT is a beautiful modality that you can do both thinking and activities to handle distress, Mm -hmm. to manage your emotions to show up in relationships differently. So DBT is really, really useful. I frankly think all kids should learn these uh, skills in school. Um, There's also acceptance commitment therapy, which I'm a huge fan of, which is another branch of cognitive work. Um, What I love about that one is it shows up with like your values, like who are you as a person? How do you want to show up in the world? And then when we're retraining and reframing your thinking patterns, we're really doing it in this purposeful way. So all of that is cognitive. Mm -hmm. There's tons of different cognitive therapies for trauma. Specifically there's cognitive processing therapy. Um, there's prolonged exposure therapy where you're introducing yourself to, you know, more and more, um, significant relations to that trauma, um, information. I personally don't, use PE. um, And I don't advocate for it because there's so many other ways to clear trauma responses without it being quite so exposed and quite so painful. And that will launch me into bottom up. So bottom up means that you use those body-based processes. So those dangerous signals result in that cascade of chemicals that affect your whole body. And as soon as you start to notice, Hey, my heart's pounding a little bit, I'm feeling a bit sweaty. Mm, there's that lump in my throat. I'm queasy. Okay. Those are my danger signals having been activated. I wonder what's going on. So instead of approaching it from a thought and thinking, okay, I'm just going to think my way out of this. You do a body-based practice. We call that somatic therapy and the somatic work where you're using the body to interrupt that danger pathway is super powerful And it's been ignored a lot in the therapeutic process, but it's starting to become more and more available and unfortunately not as accessible. So there is a long history of somatic work, starting with um, there's the book Waking the Tiger by Peter Levine, and he does somatic experiencing. And now he has a whole program available on Sounds True, and you can listen to it my hesitation around that stuff is he talks about some pretty like traumatic um details when he's giving his case examples and if you're listening to this you know podcast type program by yourself and you're li- you're getting really triggered mm-hmm. by the content of it you know you could go down these pathways of flooding or freezing. So I generally recommend at least starting these somatic techniques with somebody who's trained, who can help you recognize when you're flooding, which is that overwhelm yeah. of the danger signal and freezing, which is like, you're so overwhelmed that your body just shuts right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love bottom-up work. I do a fair bit of it um, with the tapping that we've mentioned also havening and tremoring um, I've trained There's a version, um, very similar to Peter Levine's called sensory motor psychotherapy. That's through a woman named Pat Ogden. I've done her level one training. So I incorporate that into a lot of what I do. So the body-based work, there's just so much out there that you can train on. I'm studying brain spotting this weekend, um, which is where you look at things with your Mm -hmm. eyes. So there are so many different modalities out there, it almost gets overwhelming to try to figure out what you want to explore. And it's also not super accessible. So one of the reasons I'm writing this book is because only people who have like 150 or $200 an hour to spare are going to be able to find one of these therapists and pay for it. And I just don't think that's fair. Absolutely not yeah
1: oh my gosh. I have so many like personal anecdotes and questions for you I, i'm And I'm so glad that i I am doing this theme around specific therapies because I didn't even know about all of this so so CBT is what I was introduced to in two thousand and two when I was first diagnosed with anxiety disorder, and it was incredibly helpful. Like I had never had anybody tell me like, Oh, you can actually learn. <laughs> to manage those racing thoughts that were like tearing me down into physical symptoms, you know, vomiting, armpits tingling, numb fingers. Like I would get all of that with my with my panic attacks. And then they say in in the rooms of 12 steps, like it works until it doesn't. (laughs) And that's how I feel about CBT. So it wasn't until 2020, the onset of the, the pandemic where things kicked back up for me, which I know it did for many people, and I was like, I really yeah. need to start digging into somatic work again and and I did and it was it was really helpful and I forget I forget the name of what exactly she she did a couple of different things with me, and it was tough because it was virtual because of the pandemic and I was like, yeah. I feel like this would be. And especially as someone, like, as I was telling you before we started recording, who is very resistant to somatic work, which I think is fairly common, probably people who grow up in this culture, I do feel like it would have been a little bit easier for me and just able to trust the my, the practitioner better being in person. However, I've recently heard about havening and brain spotting. A friend of mine told me to look into it and it's not, it's not cheap. And I, I I'm so glad you're you're writing this book. Before I forget, when does it come out and what is the
0: name of it? It's the modern trauma toolkit and it'll be out in about a year. Okay. So they're they're guessing spring 2023. So even though I'm wrapping up the first draft this week, it's it's quite a process to get it published. And um the publisher is in both the US and the UK. So They have like global rights, but the book tour and like all of the PR is going to be happening in the States first, Mm -hmm. which feels so strange. So I'm going to probably have to like arrange my own little Canadian book tour, which I've been actually dreaming about. Like I love small towns. So I I just drove across Canada for the first time this summer. And as I was going, I was like, wow, if I could stop in all of these small towns and like do a little bit of reading because... When I talk about accessibility, part of it too is like, how does rural Canada access a therapist who's trained in all these like super random things? So the more that we can open that gate towards access for everybody, that's just really important to me. My whole career has been predicated on health equity spaces and the work that I do is with refugees and also at the addiction clinic and nobody that I work with could afford private therapy. And to me, that's just such a shame because I, I think if we have universal healthcare in Canada, it should absolutely be covering mental health. Like everybody could use that, especially now, like pre-pandemic, we used to say like, oh, one in five people are suffering from a mental health disorder. And I mean, that's where you could diagnose it from like the DSM, mm-hmm. the Bible of psychiatry. Like if we start to look at mental health symptoms, which is like that sympathetic nervous system being too overactive or the one that not a lot of people talk about. So I don't know if you've had guests talk about the polyvagal theory, but that was one of my next questions for you. So my, my question was around like the polyvagal
1: institute level one, and it's it sounds complicated, but can you kind of break it down for
0: us in layman's terms, please? Yeah, absolutely. I'm a huge fan of the polyvagal theory, but it is really hard to kind of get a grip on because the people who talk about it the most are the person who came up with the theory. His name is Dr. Stephen Porges and he's like a basic science researcher. So it wasn't until Mm -hmm. he started talking to clinicians that he realized the theory that he came up with related to trauma. And then there's a woman named Deb Dana and she is the clinician. So she does clinical therapy and she's the one who uses the polyvagal theory and therapy. So she's the one who launched the polyvagal Institute and teaches through the Institute, but she has a ton of instructors that were really fantastic who taught us through that program. Only level one is available at this point, and you do have to be a therapist to take the program. Okay. So what is, it's a, it's a nerve, correct? Kind of. Um, Okay. So so Deb just also launched a Sounds True program um, called Befriending Your Nervous System, And Mm -hmm. so she does a great explanation of it. And just like a single podcast episode on Sounds True. And then if you're wanting to dive really deep, she has that. Um, She also just came up with a book called Anchored. So you can access Deb Dana's work non-clinically just this year. So before this year, everything was just aimed at therapists. Mm -hmm. And I heard about it through like a friend of mine who worked at the food center. And she was explaining this to me. And I was like, you know, this is a way better explanation for everything that I see in the clinic compared to the stuff that I see in the DSM. Because if I look at everybody through the lens of the DSM, they would leave the office with like three different diagnoses. But But if I I look at them through the lens of the polyvagal theory, it's such a beautiful, simple explanation for what your nervous system does under stress. So we've already talked about the sympathetic nervous system. That's the first Mm -hmm. thing that kicks in when you're stressed out. And that's like, The adrenaline, the epinephrine, and it makes your heart pound and you sweat and all of those things that you described with that panic attack. What people don't understand is the vagus nerve. And that's when you were talking about like this one nerve. So your vagus nerve goes up into your face. And when you were saying earlier, I feel like I relate to people better in person, that's the ventral vagus nerve that's in your face. And it's in control of facial expressions and also parts of your inner ear. So um and your voice box. So um speaking in a prosodic voice so that's like kind of a maternal melodic voice very very important for a person who's under stress to hear that kind of a voice. So mm-hmm. harsh tones angry word or angry sound mm-hmm. yeah angry sounding vocal tones really hard for a person who's been through trauma. Same with facial expressions, which is why somebody who's got anxiety, they they might really appreciate that people are wearing masks because the pandemic makes them anxious. But there's also a part of them that's like, gosh, I wonder what that person's really thinking. So Mm -hmm. masks can make therapy really hard, which is why I actually love doing Zoom therapy, because then we can use our facial expressions. And when we do that, when we kind of feel connected through our faces and voices, that's called attunement. And it's actually the most important thing in any kind of therapy. So when you're saying, gosh, there was something just kind of missing that might've been a piece of that attunement that was missing, like your vagus nerve that's in your face, didn't feel quite safe enough in that environment. So that's the safety vagus nerve. And we call that ventral vagus because ventral means forward. And that's the part that's going into your face. So it's going forward. Um, it's a more recent evolutionary part of your nervous system. There's a vagus nerve that also goes backwards. So we call that dorsal vagus because dorsal means Mm -hmm. back. So the dorsal vagus system is the part that um, shuts your body down. So when your sympathetic nervous system, that fight and flight response has been completely overwhelmed and your body's just like, I can't handle this anymore. Like I'm just been busy keeping your tone and your muscles and pounding your heart and I'm just done. I can't do it that's when the dorsal vagal response kicks in and that's a shutdown response. So in animals like mammals, we call that feign death. Like if a deer or a bunny has been running away from a predator and then it just kind of plays possum, it just like lays down and pretends it's dead and hopes the problem goes away. That's the dorsal vagus nerve. And humans do that by like, I can't get out of bed. I can't get off the couch. I have this list of things to do and I just can't even get started. The whole thing just seems overwhelming. Like... Um, I'm not maintaining my self-care anymore. That is dorsal vagal response to threat. And we have so Mm -hmm. much shame built into that response. Like anxiety and busyness is a part of Western culture, but like that shutdown response, then it triggers shame, which cycles the whole thing to get worse and worse. But for many people, it's actually not lazy. It's a threat-based response and your body is just Mm -hmm. completely overwhelmed and it's choosing to shut down to keep you safe. So the thing about trauma is there's all this shame built into those trauma responses, but they're adaptive. They're all protective Mm -hmm. and it's your body doing its best to protect you. Even though in today's Western society, these responses make life a bit difficult.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Is that the same response, like the the dorsal is it, is it the dorsal vagal or dorsal vagus nerve? Dorsal vagal response. Dorsal vagal response. Yeah. Is that the same one or is it different when... Because I can count probably just on one hand how many times I have. And I don't know if it's like derealization or dissociation where... I've always kind of joked that I'm great in a crisis. And what really happens is... It's, it's a way for me to completely shut down so that I don't get emotional and I over So it's happened when um, I got the fateful phone call that my husband had been having an affair. I remember where I was standing. I was at a Barnes and & Noble and I didn't hear anything or see anything. I didn't cry. I didn't do anything. And then I started laughing hysterically. Mm. <laughs> that, was, that was one time my daughter had to have... Um, emergency surgery. She had, um, a ruptured appendix and my husband was, how do I say this nicely? Um, not able to help. (laughs) So I was like, and my daughter was hysterical and I just was like, Okay, I'm gonna do all the things. I I don't even know if I ever really truly processed how incredibly scary that was and that we could have lost her. She's only five. So is that what's happening? Like when because or is that different? Because what the examples that you described were things that I don't I don't really experience that. Like I'm always like over functioning.
0: Yeah. Um, so that was a combination of two two um, active nervous systems at the same time. So it's a bit of a fallacy to think you're all sympathetic or all dorsal vagal or parasympathetic. Um, you can have elements of both of them activating. So the part of the dorsal vagal response that you experienced was derealization, which is that mm-hmm. disconnection from self. So mm-hmm. it's it's almost like an out-of-body experience when you're kind of watching yourself do all the things yeah. and you don't really feel like you're kind of thinking through them, it's almost an automatic reflex that shows up. Mm-hmm. That is a bit of a dissociative response. And dissociative responses are super helpful. Like, I think one of the fallacies around trauma is that we have to get rid of these coping strategies because they're they're rooted in trauma and they're bad for us. Actually, no, we need those. Like, they help us function during really stressful responses. We just don't want dissociation to show up in our day-to-day life. So it's right. great that you were able to like kind of dissociate and just get her done. So you used mm-hmm. your sympathetic nervous system, which is the one that keeps us moving and doing the things And the parasympathetic response of just kind of dissociating, and those two kind of showed up together in those events. Um, Interestingly, when you say you started laughing hysterically, Mm -hmm. that is connected to your dorsal vagus nerve because it goes all the way down and innervates down to the diaphragm. And things that trigger the diaphragm can trigger hiccuping, laughing, and crying. So when I've done, there's one other somatic thing that I've trained in called tremoring. And I teach people how to shake things off the way a dog or a horse does. Like, you know, if a dog gets super stressed out, they just like shake their whole body. Mm -hmm. Humans can do that. So I have taught tons of patients how to do it. And like 95% of people can learn very quickly how, like it's something that we naturally do, but we suppress it. A lot of times they'll start hysterically laughing. I actually have done that when they're doing the tremor. And it's because that vagus nerve is kind of innervating your diaphragm and it just starts making your diaphragm muscle get really twitchy. And when it gets twitchy, it can trigger laughing, crying, or hiccuping, yawning. There's a lot of things that actually happen with the lungs when you're letting go of trauma and it's your vagus nerve resetting. It's your vagus nerve Mm -hmm. kind of changing its sensitivity. So it's really cool once you start to understand the way that it works in the body and that combination of like the psychotherapy piece and the physiology, which is kind of where I live. I, I just think it's incredible what the body can do.
1: It's fascinating. And I'm assuming that it's helpful as one starts to step into this work the the more somatic modalities that they start to realize how their body responds because I'm an, I'm a twitcher too it's happened to me when i both am full of rage and don't have where it's like socially unacceptable to dispel it And when I've done the somatic work with my last therapist, a Twitch, and the way I described it to her, I said, it feels like there's one of those bouncy balls that you get out of the little 25 cent things, you know, that you can, and they bounce over all the walls. I feel like that is happening in my body. And she said, yeah, it's, it's working.
0: Yeah. Peter Levine calls that sequencing. So, okay. um, Yeah. There's all different like therapies have kind of different theories around it, but yeah, you're totally letting go. The way I think of it is. When you're in fight and flight, the, your, your body's like, okay, we clearly have to get away from this problem. We either have to fight it off or we have to run away. And so your body gets you ready by sending all of its energy to your heart and your muscles so that you can run away from something. But the stuff that we're afraid of in modern time isn't like, you know, a bear or a natural disaster because we're not physically having to run away from our problems the way we did when humans evolved. So we get all this muscle tone that's kind of like tensing our bodies to get us ready to figure out these threats, but we can't figure out our threats in a physical way anymore. So we end up with a lot of muscle tension. And so a lot of people have like tension in their neck and tension, like headaches and, you know, even tense front body responses, like tension like that, not in the stomach feeling, that's physical tension. And one of the beautiful things about tremoring or that sequencing response that you experience is you're letting go of what I call sympathetic tone, which is your fight and flight system, sending energy to your muscles. And as you tense up, you kind of need to let it go. So another thing that can work really easily is exercise. Like if you exercise anywhere from 20 to 60 minutes per day, you're actually letting go of that sympathetic tone every single day. And when I've had really significant anxiety in my life, when I was doing like inpatient medicine, um, when I was married, like when I had really significant anxiety, I had to work out every day or it just like overwhelmed me on a daily. And I I had crazy high blood pressure and it turned out my blood. So did I was just related to my sympathetic nervous system. And once I got it under control, it was normal again.
1: That same thing happened to me. Amazing. it was, it was, it was chronic from the age of like in my mid twenties. And I was in that relationship until, and then I was just medicated for so long. And it wasn't until we left the state and I had to find a new doctor and I didn't get my prescription refilled. And it had been like several months that I had been, and I was, you know, in a new marriage and everything. Um, and she checked my blood pressure and she's like, it's actually normal. And I was like, <laughs> It hasn't been normal since like my, I was a teenager. And she said, and I, I was so confused by that. And she said, sometimes it's just unexplained. And this was, you know, like a regular
0: doctor. So
1: I had a hunch that it was some kind of emotional thing that had happened.
0: When I was just a regular doctor, I did not understand any of this either. I had to do so much extra work to learn it. Like I took two solid years. And I mean, I'm still learning because I love learning. I just started a doctorate this year because like, I don't already have one. Um, I just love learning. So I just thought, well, I'm going to learn all the things because my patients can't access any of it. So I I took like 20 different training programs, but once I started learning about the trauma responses, I started understanding that like, if you're stuck in that sympathetic nervous system, the way you were in your twenties and thirties, and the way I was, when I was at the hospital, you're shutting off your digestive system your fertility system, your immune system. So when you're in sympathetic response, the parasympathetic system doesn't happen. You're shutting up your sleep, your sleep systems which is connected to immunity as well. So if we start to look at the organism as a whole and not just think of the brain as one thing and the body as another, it's so deeply connected and I started to understand that you know, we're taught in medical school that stress relates to different physical symptoms. But now that I understand it so much better, like that connection to me is so important. When you think of chronic pain, so Mm -hmm. much of it is actually the same responses through the same systems that happen through trauma. Um, When you think about addiction, it's those same chemical systems that happen through trauma. So, My understanding of the brain-body system is so enhanced by understanding trauma, and I really wish we learned a lot more about this in medical school.
1: I'm interrupting this conversation to bring you a few words from some of our sponsors. Okay, you know, I've been talking to you about Circle DNA the last few weeks and how I took the test and sent it in. It was super easy to take. The results are back. And just, I mean, Circle DNA Premium is the world's most comprehensive DNA test, 500 reports across 20 categories. It's so much information. It's so interesting. And I want to just tell you about a few of them. The ones that I was most interested in uh, were the drug responses, which I won't get into it, but I'm sure you've heard of it where you can tell like which ones you should take as directed with caution, etc. cetera. Uh, came back that I have excellent memory skills, which drives my husband crazy because now it's validated. Yes, I don't, <laughs> I don't forget anything. And also that I am gifted, I, I came back average on most things. Also came back average on music and dance ability. So my chances of being a solid gold dancer, probably not great, but I am gifted at information processing power. This y'all is probably why I talk so fast because I'm processing information very quickly. One of the other things that was so interesting to me is especially if I was about to have children or even if I had adult children who, who might have kids themselves, is that it will test any kind of genetic mutations that you have. I came back, had no idea that I'm positive. I'm a positive carrier for non-syndromic hearing loss, which is just it's just nice to know those things. Also with Circle DNA Premium, you get two free one-on-one consultations with genetic counselors that help you interpret your results and stay tuned. I will let you know how that goes. There's also, if your budget is limited, Circle DNA offers uh, Circle DNA Vital that focuses on diet, exercise, and wellness reports if you wanted something a little bit more affordable. Your data is always 100% private and securely stored. So if you go to circledna.com and use my coupon code Andrea Owen, you get 33% off any Circle DNA test. This is only valid for the first 33 kits sold, so make sure you don't miss out. It's circledna.com. Use coupon code Andrea. Owen at checkout to get 33% off your order. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. People don't always realize that physical symptoms like headaches, teeth grinding, digestive issues can be indicators of stress, not to mention doom scrolling. That is something that I do that I wish I did not do as much as I do. Sleeping too little, sleeping too much, undereating, overeating. For me, for sure, insomnia is one of my biggest indicators of stress. It can show up in all kinds of ways. And in a world that's telling us to do more, to hustle more, sleep less, you know, we're it's celebrated if you sleep less and grind all the time, I am here to remind you to take care of yourself, do less, and hopefully, try some therapy. Therapy has been incredibly helpful for me. I have long told you guys on this podcast that I am pretty much always seeing a therapist, especially in times of of extra stress. So BetterHelp is customized online therapy. They offer video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, give it a try and see if online therapy can help lower your stress. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Make Some Noise listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com kickass. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com kickass. This episode is brought to you by Four Sigmatic, a wellness company that is well-known for its delicious mushroom coffee that is real organic, fair trade coffee with lion's mane mushroom for productivity and shaga mushroom for immune support. Mushroom coffee is also easy on my gut and doesn't leave me with that awful jittery feeling or midday crash. I tend to not be able to drink coffee past 11 a.m. unless I wanna be up- Past midnight, but I haven't had that feeling with this mushroom coffee. So it's kind of amazing in that way. All four Sigmatic products are organic and plant based. Plus, every single batch is third party lab tested to ensure its purity and safety. So you know you're getting the highest quality coffee and mushrooms possible. You might be thinking, does this coffee taste like mushrooms? I can guarantee it tastes just like coffee. (laughs) that you have. I was worried about that too. Even though I love mushrooms, it does not taste like mushrooms. It brews dark and nutty and tastes incredible. It also has over 20,000 five-star reviews. And best of all, Four Sigmatic backs their products with a 100% money-back guarantee. Love every sip or get your money back. We've worked out an exclusive offer with Four Sigmatic on their best-selling mushroom coffee, but this is just for Make Some Noise listeners. Get up to 40% off on mushroom coffee bundles. To claim this deal, you must go to forsigmoticcom slash Andrea Owen. This offer is only for Make Some Noise listeners and is not available on their regular website. Again, you'll save up to 40% and get free shipping. So head on over to foursigmatic.com slash Andrea Owen and fuel your mornings with some delicious morning coffee. And if you ever need any of the codes or links for this or any other products, head on over to AndreaOwen.com slash sponsors, and they are all right there. Easy to click on. I have so many questions, but I intuitively am thinking what people are probably wondering as they're listening to this is, you know, of course we can look big picture and I'm so curious about all the different modalities and and how they relate to trauma and healing trauma more specifically. But what if someone is listening to this who is certain or fairly certain they've had some trauma in their life that is holding them back in some way or another, whether it is manifesting as poor sleep or... Any of the things that you mentioned, or even just like lack of self-confidence or who knows any any list of things,
0: where should they even start? Part of it is accessibility, right? So if you have right. like an employee benefits program or if you have some private insurance that allows you to access a modality, start there. like start with a thing that's easily accessible to you. Um if you have a suspicion that the issue is trauma, I always um suggest doing a a quick interview for fit with your therapist to make sure that they're trauma informed. And that's just like, especially if you identify like as kind of within that non-dominant paradigm, like if you're gay or trans, or if you're a person of color, you really want to make sure that the therapist can hold a safe space for you. And I would just Mm -hmm. ask, like, are you familiar with these clients? Like, how does, how does this work for you? What's your comfort level? And then around being trauma-informed, it's kind of like, so what would you do if I had a panic attack during therapy? Like, what are your kind of responses? If, And you're looking for that flooding. So flooding is like that panic. And freezing is kind of like that dissociation that you described when you're just like floating above your body. Those are really common trauma responses, and some therapists handle them better than others. Some therapists jump straight into the content of trauma and it's something. I've- so is that more like talk therapy? You mean? Yeah. Like let's talk okay. about your trauma in session one. And I want you to tell me about all the ways you've been traumatized. To me, that's not trauma informed. Trauma informed is starting with the present. Like what are the symptoms of those traumas that are showing up in the present moment, becoming more mindfully aware of how your body is responding in the present related to those past experiences. And then once you're feeling safe in the present, then you can start approaching the past. So that to Mm -hmm. me is how a trauma-informed therapist shows up. And just trying to understand the way that they approach traumatic experiences will help you. The key is listening to that gut instinct. If your gut's telling you like, run away, (laughs) this isn't safe, then it's probably not a safe modality for you. But if they're creating that safe space through attunement, like those facial expressions and tone of voice. And if you feel safe in that the way you're hearing them is landing well in your body, like like they're not triggering that scary system, then that's probably a good one for you.
1: Okay. Thank you for for laying that out. I, I did a mini sode a few weeks back where I talked about the difference between trauma informed and able to treat because we're seeing the term trauma informed a lot lately. And my worry is that people are getting that that confused, especially like life coaches who maybe even have no training as a coach, which I I can't I can't with that. So like for me, I'm trauma informed, and that only means like I'm not able to treat. I'm not trained in it. It is way beyond the scope of what I do. Yeah. So, but if somebody feels safe in a workshop or as a client sharing with me a traumatic thing that happened to them, I'm able to hold space for them and ask them the right questions to make sure that they feel safe but we are very clear that I'm not here to treat them i'm here to hold that space and also refer them to someone who is trained to actually treat them i appreciate you saying you know for me as someone who had and still has major trust issues with other humans yeah. it was i mean i had to have it was 6 to 8 talk therapy sessions with my trauma therapist before i was ready to go into the somatic work. And I was very frank with her. And I just said, I don't trust you. It's not personal. (laughs) I don't trust anybody. (laughs) And so I, I am, I had to get really honest because there was also a part of me who was like, okay, let's go in. Let's, let's fix this. Let's, let's do it. And that's my body is going to say, that's
0: cute, but no, (laughs) And I've got two thoughts about that. I mean, we could probably talk for like six hours because we yeah. think conversationalists and you bring up so many important things. So, the first one is the more you talk about your trauma, the more you enforce the travel, like the journey towards that path. So the more that you think and talk about your traumas, the more that your brain will continue to do that. So your brain loves familiarity. And as soon as you set up a pattern of like, this is what we do, your brain's like, oh, this is what we do. We just continue down this path every single time. And that's really how triggers and flashbacks happen is like, that's a familiar path that sends you your brain down, making that journey towards the trauma memory. And what we actually want to do in therapy is disconnect it. So I actually do not encourage people to talk about their trauma because it strengthens that pathway. In in neurology, we say what fires together, wires together, and you mm-hmm. strengthen those memories the more you talk about them. So I encourage a lot of non-talk therapy about trauma. So when I work with my patients we rarely get into the details about the traumas that have happened to them. Um, That's why I'm such a huge fan of accelerated resolution therapy is you don't even talk about the thing that happened at all. You think it, but within like an hour and a half, you've completely changed that pathway. So instead of that pathway being the thing your brain wants to do, it's now a thing that your brain's like, no, maybe not. The second thing that you mentioned that I thought was fascinating was those trust issues. And Mm -hmm. yes, it could absolutely have to do with the things that happened through marriage or the things that happened through, you know, being bullied or having poor job experiences. But a lot of times when it's like, like you talked about this, like visceral, wow, I don't trust you, even in a relationship that you should be able to trust them a little bit. And oftentimes I find that those experiences have something to do with pre-verbal memories, like something that happened before the age of three that you couldn't even name or ancestral traumas. And that's where somatic work and metaphorical work can be really, really beautiful because the language of the subconscious mind is not thinking and talking. The language of the subconscious mind is movement and metaphor and imagery and not everybody's trained in that stuff but if there's ancestral trauma and you know certain communities of people have encountered more of that but the more that we talk about it thomas hubel does a lot on this there's these collective traumas that we all kind of carry as this like global community like if we think about the pandemic or climate change like we're carrying this stuff in our tissues now and there's huge amounts of ancestral trauma that All of us could probably unearth if we had access to it. So one of the beautiful things about me doing all of these therapy trainings is every time you do something, you have to practice it on yourself. And I'm like, oh, wow, there's that too. Because like when you're in a helping profession, you're like, oh, I'm good. I'm holding space for all the others. But then you realize, oh, yeah, I'm a human too. I'm going to show up in that way. So yeah, that's another thing that I, I love the connection to somatic work is like, well, what else are you holding on? That's not even yours.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. It's so interesting. I, I selfishly, like, I want to, I want to tell you this. I think the reason that I was so adamant and have been for the last 15 years that has, taken a turn for the better about telling my story and wanting to trust a therapist enough. You know, I need you to hear the story first, is because, and it was sort of this double-edged sword because I I wanted someone to see me in my pain for all of what it really was. And I didn't even totally understand it. So it was awkward. But also it was the thing I was terrified of. Mm. And so what ended up happening is, and I shared this on a um another episode that I did with with my best friend. And is that, um, I don't know if, if you dive into Brene Brown's work at all. And, and she, her new book came out, Alice of the Heart, and she was talking specifically about humiliation and that, um, I think Linda Hartfield is the woman who they just study humiliation. And Brene said that they had to go back to their research and look at the data and actually change some of the definitions around humiliation. Cause when I was trained in it, they talked about shame and humiliation, um, very similar physical response. The difference is that, you know, shame is, just, you know, very rudimentary, generally speaking. Shame is you feel like a bad person, like you deserved it. humiliation and you feel like you didn't deserve it. And I felt like they kind of just like, humiliation is that we're not going to talk about that. We're going to focus on guilt, shame. Those are like the biggest things. Mm-hmm. And It wasn't until there was a podcast episode and Brene was reading this new definition of humiliation and how it strips someone's dignity. Um, it just rips to the core of who you are in your identity. And it also, the data shows that it leads to homicidal and suicidal behavior. Wow. And I had to turn the podcast off because I, and it's still like my throat like clenches up when I talk about it. Cause it was for the first time I felt like that is somebody who sees me and my experience. And I just, and that's what I kept saying when it first happened is like, I feel so humiliated. And there's a scene, one more thing. There's a scene that I cannot watch without crying from the sex in the city movie where, um, Mr. Big leaves Carrie at the altar.
0: (laughs) Did you ever see the movie? (laughs) Um, was that the first one or the second one? It was the first one.
1: So it was like, it was a long time ago. Yeah. It was like, oh, six or something. Yeah. And he, they pass each other in the cars in the streets of New York and they stop the car and Mr. Big gets out and he's like, Carrie, I'm so sorry. And she runs up to him and she starts hitting him with her flowers. And she's like, you have humiliated me. And I still watch it. And I'm like, that's what that is. Hmm. Since then, since I saw that, or I heard that definition and I watched that scene and I'm like, okay, but it's almost like my nervous system is like, thank you. (laughs) That's what we've been trying to tell you this whole time for a decade and a half. And that's where I feel like the hairpin turn happened. And I'm like, okay. And it was almost as if I've been stuck for a decade and a half that I couldn't name it. And I not only could I not name it, nobody else totally understood. And even people who had similar stories of infidelity and just like that profound humiliation never named it Mm. until finally. And I'm like, it's not really shame. Like it kind of is, but... And I always felt like it was kind of like, yeah, it's humiliation anyway. So that was, I think the thing that like, I kept talking about it because I kept trying to understand it. Mm. Like, what is this yeah. or get like a therapist to understand it. And so, and that's been fairly recent that that happened. And that what that blew the lid off. I'm telling you, Christine, like it blew the lid off mm. for my own, my own treatment. And I don't mean to make this whole podcast episode about me. I'm sorry, everybody, but they've been hearing me talk about it for like 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> think it's a good example of a a journey in someone's therapy and healing their trauma because it can be confusing. Like I felt like it was so confusing at times and I just wanted it to be gone. And then there's a whole conversation
0: around expectation management and all that stuff. But anyway, I'm going to stop talking. What I love about what you said was just like feeling heard, feeling seen, Mm -hmm. like, like your therapist should at the minimum do that. So even if we didn't have those right clinical definition of humiliation and girl, I've been through all of what you've been through. Like it's, it's really, really hard. Um, And feeling heard and feeling seen is the goal of therapy. And Mm -hmm. like, that's where you know you're in the right place is if you're getting that feeling from the person you're talking to. And I've, I've had to switch therapists twice now when I was with somebody that I just didn't feel was hearing me and seeing me. Um, and now I have one like kind of talk therapist and one somatic therapist. Um, and like I, I feel like I'm getting very different things from each of them. And I knew that I needed something a little bit different. Um, so but but that's privilege, right? Like I, I'm privileged right. to be able to to find those people and access them. But that validation and like, there's nothing wrong with you. You're not broken. Mm-hmm. These trauma responses are valid. Your feelings about the things you've been through are valid. You know, that's the thing that heals, not necessarily telling the details of the story, although right. that's the the doorway into some pe- for some people, for sure. And you don't want to deny them that, especially like um, if it's a historically oppressed group and they're just like I need you to see me. Like I remember doing something with a friend actually who had a panic attack while we were traveling and she said, "You have no idea what it means to have a white woman sit there and listen to me for an hour, everything that I want to talk about and you're just going to sit there and listen?" She's like, "That was just as therapeutic as the thing that we 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 just went through to help me with my panic." And that wasn't something I'd really thought of before. So like, obviously she was a person of color. She was indigenous. And I I just think that there's all these powerful ways that bodies respond in connection and that bodies respond with our nervous systems that we are just starting to understand. And it is such an incredible thing to be a part of that understanding. Like we've only been studying trauma since the 1970s. Like this is a really new thing. And it's only really caught on in the last you know five, 10 years where people have been doing more and more talking about it and feeling like it was a socially acceptable thing to, to talk about. Um, yeah. which is why I do TikTok. I I love being part of that community. I contribute, but I also learn a ton.
1: Yeah. And now that you said all that, like it for me, you know, as a as a privileged white woman, it very much is less about the story and just about the impact that it had on my body and my behavior and like who I was as a person, um, who especially who I was as a woman. That's what I think I really wanted the validation about because I felt like. I, it's very lonely when you feel like there's not a proper explanation for what you're feeling, and like mm. there's words and definitions that are almost right but not quite. It's kind of like trying to reach orgasm. <laughs> it's like almost there. I, can't. I need a beat drop. Um, That's what I can, that's the best analogy I can come up with. So finally, I think you're, I think you're onto something with that, you know, to her credit, my last therapist did see me in, in what I had shared. And, and we honestly was the first person who showed me that what I was in was an abusive relationship. Um, Mm -hmm. It showed me what, you know, told me what trauma bonding was and reactive abuse and all of those things. So I thank her for that. And yeah, it's, I think at the end of the day, my deep exhale is around, I don't mean to sound cliche, but it is quite a journey. It is quite a journey. And my hope is that this type of mental health um, accessibility becomes more accessible for more people. And, and also I'm, I'm very happy that we have a language around it. We're starting to develop a language around it that, that people understand who, who aren't doctors and, and PhDs. And we can have these conversations hopefully with people we trust and our children. And so the generations after us can, can truly
0: contribute, make a change. And sadly, even the doctors don't all understand. Like that's, that's what I was kind of trying to you know, share is I did not know this stuff until I took private money and private time and and invested in learning it. So I really think it needs to get into medical education. I think it needs to get into the schools. So one thing I am designing in the next year is like a trauma informed certification program. And I want to teach teachers how to like how to calm kids down when their sympathetic nervous system are overactive and how to recognize when a kid's dissociating. Like, like, I actually think the general public needs more access to this information. Like it's something we mm-hmm. all should know. Um, I think it's more important than calculus, frankly. Yeah, we're learning about the French so Revolution. <laughs> Yeah. My goal is to try to share this with more, more and more people. So I'm really appreciative that you're doing Thank the same you. thing.
1: I've taken up so much of your time. I appreciate you so much, Christine. And I would love to have you back when your book comes out, if you, if you can make a, make a virtual trip this Absolutely. way. Um, and so tell us where people go to learn more about you, to pre-order your book when it's available,
0: all those things. Of course, I'm going to put your TikTok link in, wow. in the show notes, but where else? Yeah, I love um I love the TikTok community. So on there I am TikTok TraumaDoc. doc. Um, I have a website christinegibson.net, so christine with a c h. And within the month I am launching a new website called moderntrauma.com and we're just designing it right now and it's this really beautiful community space. So we're going to have community conversations on there and then it's going to link to some of the TikToks and if you purchase the book, the modern trauma toolkit, Um, there will be a hidden page of the website with some extra video content that I'm going to be recording over the next few months. So that, that whole website is going to be really, really, um, just beautiful and emergent. I feel like a lot of trauma stuff is really, really heavy and it doesn't have to be like if we come together as a community and we do this work together and we share together, I actually think it can feel really validating. Like what we were talking about earlier, um, the, there's two analogies that I use on the website. And one is the Kintsugi pottery. I don't is know if you've heard the, this the concept, but it's like-
1: In the breaks? Yeah, yes. It's like, explain that. I think it's beautiful.
0: So it's this Japanese term for like when a piece of ceramic has been broken and they put it together with gold or silver resin. And the idea is that this piece is more valuable and more beautiful for having been broken and put back together. And I don't think that we're broken when we've been through trauma. I don't think we need to be fixed. I think our body is doing this adaptive thing, but it certainly feels like we are. So when we start to put those pieces back together and we're like, oh my gosh, that's post-traumatic growth. And what I always say to people is like, you are not defined by your traumas, but you can come out on the other side of it, having done the work as this more evolved and emergent human being. And it's amazing. The other analogy is like the caterpillar emerging as a butterfly, like post-traumatic growth is possible. And that's the message that I am trying to really share with people. Okay. Oh my gosh. You're right. We could have talked for so much longer and
1: I am excited to have you, have you come out and we'll make sure this website or this episode comes out when your website is out. So people can go to it and, and do all the things that you talked about. And thank you again for being here and listeners, you know, how grateful I am for your time so incredibly valuable. Thank you for spending that with me and my guests. And remember it's our life's journey to make ourselves better humans and our life's responsibility to make the world a better place. Bye for now. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening to the show. And just a quick reminder that if your company needs a speaker or a trainer, I might be the right person for you. I speak and do keynotes on confidence and resilience for mixed audiences, as well as do trainings on The Daring Way, which is the methodology based on the research of Dr. Brene Brown. So if you think it might be a good fit, hit me up at support at andreaowen.com or head over to my speaking page, andreaowen.com slash speaking.